Welcome everyone to the Speak Up by Avalon Bay podcast, sponsored by the Avalon Bay Women's Leadership Network. In today's episode, we will be joining Debbie Coombs and Katie Nyberg as they discuss Failing Fast, a concept explored in the New York Times bestseller, The Confidence Code, by Katie Kay and Claire Shipman. Welcome to the next podcast episode. I am sitting down here today with Debbie Coombs. We are going to talk to you guys about failing fast. Before we get into that, Debbie, if you want to introduce the listeners to yourself in case they don't know you yet and what you do, your scope of responsibility here at Avalon Bay. Great. I'm uh, with the RS Group. I'm a Senior VP of Operations. I have responsibility for the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego. And that includes Denver, our newest region, where I'm very excited about. And what does that what does that mean? It's about forty thousand apartments. It's about one hundred and thirty one communities and revenue. It's pretty interesting. It's about nine hundred million dollars. That's what we do. That's what our teams strive for in order to be successful. So it's day to day operations on the West Coast. I've been with the company for about 16 years. I just recently had my intermission. It's awesome. I can't wait to hear about yours and anyone else that goes. And I I love it here at Avalon Bay. It's the perfect fit for me. I'm about halfway to my intermission. Did you go anywhere fun? I did. My husband and I, we took the the six weeks off. We had a time in Europe, which was really fun. And we were pampered and saw and did things that we've never done before, which is very exciting. And then the other part of the break, I spent with family and friends kind of traipsing around the country, uh, hooking up with friends and family when they were on their vacation. So it was was awesome. I'm sure I'm going to want it next year, but I'm not sure I'll get another six weeks off. It was terrific. (laughs) That's awesome. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Katie Nyberg, and I am a um, director with the asset management team, currently working in the Irvine office and overseeing capital programs and asset management activities, mainly in the Los Angeles and Orange County regions. I've been here for a little over seven years now, started right out of college, and uh, love it. I've been in the asset management group my entire tenure here, and It's a great team of people and and can't wait to continue going. What did you want to be as a child and how did it shape your career (laughs) development? Well, I I have a profession. I wanted to be a teacher. But I also wanted to boss my brothers around. So I had a combination of things that allowed me some early lessons in leadership that just demanding something of my brothers rarely worked. So I had to become one with them and understand their perspective. I always laugh about my early management lessons came from my brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. So it was, um, they uh, got me started. That's great. I loved bossing my little brother around too. So <laughs> it's always fun. I think I still try these days with less, uh, less results, that's for sure. What's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Mm. Well, you start with the word restaurant. My little town, it's not really a restaurant. You go and stand at the window and they give you your soft serve ice cream or your sandwich. So it's really not a restaurant, but I'm going to go with it. It's a pulled pork barbecue sandwich Mm. with mustard and extra pickles. So good. So good. Well, I am local to Southern California my entire life, so In-N-Out is my my favorite. It's my guilty pleasure, and I get my grilled cheese animal style with animal (laughs) fries and no tomatoes. Wow. It's so random. Special order off the menu. It makes sense to me. It's the secret menu. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. Well, let's dive into failing fast. So 
I'm going to start off just reading a quick definition of what failing fast means for those that don't know and how men embrace it and women generally don't. And and we'll dig into that a little bit further. Failing fast seeks to take the stigma out of the word failure by emphasizing that the knowledge gained from a failed attempt actually increases the probability of an eventual success. So tell us how you interpret failing fast and why you think it might be more difficult for women to fail fast than men. Yeah, I think there's there's not a lot of great examples in perhaps men and women, um, but there's not a lot of clarity for me, and I can only see it through my own lens. When I was young and impressionable, which over my school years, the idea of how I succeeded in school is very different than how you would succeed in the business world. And so I can only speak for myself, and I saw it in other women in particular, is that you you follow the rules, you keep your head down and do good work, you do extra credit, you do all those things, and somehow someone will notice and give you an A+. Plus or a.k.a. a new job assignment or an increase in your responsibility. And that's not how it works in the business world. So I know for myself I had all this great conditioning and was really um, quite successful in school. And then when I hit the business world, I had to learn some things that were new. Mm-hmm. I think that also the, the idea of perfection and being accepted is an influence that happens Uh, For women, somehow, I wish it weren't so, but it does influence how we conduct ourselves in our social lives and our business lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that our confidence is um, sometimes that business of wanting to be perfect undermines our confidence, that we wouldn't dare uh, try something new or volunteer for something that's untried by anyone in our group because we think we have to master it before we could be eligible which is a bunch of poppycock, right? But it shaped how I um, conducted myself in my early years of work, that's for sure. I think it's interesting working in an industry that is historically more male-dominated and, and being a woman, you know, even on my team, I'm the only woman, and uh, at least locally. And there was a sense at some point that you don't want to fail and don't want that perception of failing, um, because you almost, at least for me, I'm, I'm saying you, and it's really generalizing it, but for me, it was not wanting to look like I wasn't as adept as my male counterparts were, and I didn't want to show mm-hmm. that I was failing and I needed help. So I think a lot of women might have, especially in male-dominated industries, might have that same feeling of mm-hmm. kind of self-protection, of wanting you know, to kind of break into the, you know, with their male counterparts kind of break into that industry, but also not want to fail doing it. So sure. So, can you think of an example where you did not fail fast? And, you know, how would you respond to that failure today, knowing what you know now? I have more than one, but I've, um, thank you for giving me a chance to think about this ahead of time. <laughs> so I thought about the one that happened when I was about 25 years of age, and I got fired from a job. Wow. I deserve to be fired. I would fire me today. I would have fired me yesterday uh, or all those years ago. Um, It was a a situation where I was at this company for about a year before I got terminated. I probably should have been terminated much earlier than that. But I oversold my skills. I was cocksure and ready for anything. And this company hired me and put me in, in a city and in a place where there were no other resources. I was that convincing. I oversold myself. Mm -hmm. Then I added the worst possible combination to that is that I refused to ask for help. 
because I figured I could figure it out. If I worked long enough, hard enough, read enough, that I could figure it out and I wouldn't have to reveal to anyone who had trusted me that I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't sure where to go and how to get started Mm -hmm. to make a difference. And so I spent a lot of time trying to get myself out of the hole, but I recognize now that I was in a hole that I was never going to get out of. And so it took someone else saying, you're not doing your job, you're terminated, for me to get release, my own release from something that was very difficult for me, and I knew that I wasn't succeeding in performing as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was crazy, crazy, but wonderful to have that lesson um, when I was about 25 years of age. Yeah, it's interesting. In the Confidence Code, they talk about... Um you know, faking the confidence till you like fake it till you make it. And I think that that works to people's detriment a lot of the time because you don't, especially when you're younger, like I was, um, similar age to you when I started at Avalon Bay and, you know, you're working with a lot of, especially here, tenured people, which is amazing. And you're, you're young, you're spunky, you're trying to come in and have people listen and you don't want them to think that you don't know what you're doing. So there's a very fine line between putting on, you know, a strong presence and a, and a strong face, but also not, like you said, overselling yourself or not asking questions. I think not asking questions is one of the biggest failures that people make starting off, um, because they don't want people to know that they don't know what they're doing or their boss or whoever it is. But I think that really, you know, leveraging our resources here at Avalon Bay or any other company you might work at, um, there's so so much knowledge. And if you would just kind of pretend like you know it all, but you really don't, it's, it's never going to help. And I think the other part of it is not asking questions then sort of that self-preservation, I agree with you. But Mm -hmm. it didn't allow me to build any networks. I didn't have any place to go. I wasn't asking anybody. I didn't talk to my friends about it. I didn't talk to other people that were available by phone to me, Mm -hmm. you know, talk with, I didn't reveal any of that. And I, so I didn't even build relationships. There was no one there to uh, assist me or defend me because I let myself be isolated. Mm -hmm. And the other irony of that about not asking questions is that today in my role today, I think my chief responsibility is to ask questions and to get clarity. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a funny, full turn of events to know that the very thing I didn't want to do when I was younger is the thing that makes all the difference now in my career. So kind of reflecting back on on that story, how would you utilize or how did you utilize the, the lessons from that experience to get to where you are today? Yeah, I think the... You know, necessity was a big part of it. I didn't react well. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to retreat. I felt ashamed. I couldn't believe I found myself in this spot that I got fired from a job. And I, it was just, it messed with my mind, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. So I think some of my first reactions were to become much less visible. So I didn't want people to notice me and I didn't want to carry the ball for the big responsibilities. Now, that didn't last very long because I like to carry the ball. But the the thing that I think about now is what is common for me today and easy for me today is my own introspection and honesty with myself about what I can do and what I can't do or what I struggle to do is, is to not be afraid of that, to say that's not my... That's not what I do. I remember when I came to work with Avalon Bay, I had one of those moments with Luya Hori, who was my supervisor at the time. And it was a mic package, and there was a lot of discussion about the yield and the return on investment. 
and I know enough to be involved in a conversation, but not to lead it. And I went to Leo to quickly tell him that I couldn't lead a conversation about that. I would need support on it. And I'll never forget his warm and understanding reaction to that and that he he also helped me steady my my confidence by reflecting on what I was good at. So now mm-hmm. I, I feel comfortable about who I am and what I do. So that's that's probably the biggest lesson. The other one is about building a network. And what I clearly was totally absent in my young self that got fired and should have been fired is a is a part of, again, something that I feel confident about and maybe don't even recognize the things that I am doing that builds a network around you that calls on people for you know, answering questions, helping to solve a difficult uh, challenge that you're facing, um, and giving you good advice about, you know, sometimes uh, if I raise my voice in particular, I'll circle back to an individual and say, I'm pretty agitated. Um, how'd that play? Because <laughs> that's, I don't like to, to do that, but, you know, you've got to you got to have those folks that are your advisors that will tell it to you straight mm-hmm. and tell you to snap out of it and get to be your better self and, and, uh, and move past it and not let bumps or irritations that are in the moment define your overall work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that is a, is a, a big thing as far as building networks, that it's not a just about who to call for some business thing, but it's about your own guidance and development as a leader and, uh, you know, a good corporate citizen. Um, and then asking for help. Like I said, mm-hmm. those things I was so reticent to do are things I feel like are a, a main part of my day-to-day role. Hi, everyone. Earlier in today's podcast, Debbie mentioned Avalon Bay's amazing intermission program. This benefit gives our associates an opportunity to enjoy six weeks of time away from work to rejuvenate or pursue other interests such as travel, personal development, or volunteer work. Associates are eligible to take their intermission as soon as they reach 15 years of service. And with our long tenured workforce, over 30 associates take advantage of this program every year. How long or or what was your process for gaining your confidence back after you did get fired? And and what was that like? Between my, uh, when I got fired and my next job, it was a little bit of time, maybe a couple of months. And necessity required that I get a job. I wasn't in in a situation that, that I could pay my rent for very many months without having employment. So getting a job was important. So I went on several interviews for jobs that didn't pay as well as I had been earning. Maybe I didn't deserve that or weren't weren't the kinds of responsibilities I was really thrilled about. And through a lot of soul searching and conversations, particularly with my parents, they would say, why do you want to why do you want to do those jobs? One of them was a reception for the McDonald's Corporation. And it's like, why would you want to be a receptionist? You know, you don't type very well, you know. It doesn't. It seems like you want a boss or whatever. You want to be bossy, and there. But it was about getting a paycheck. Yeah. Um, and so they helped me wait for something, and get what I needed. But mm-hmm. it was hard because in those interviews, and I would have to sell. I've recently tell them I've recently been terminated, and that was hard to do. So my ego was all, you know, tender and sensitive at this time. Um, but I got the call that changed my life. It was from the Trammell Crow Company, or a headhunter is called, and they wanted me to be a community manager of a lease-up that was in some kind of distress. I didn't understand what that meant. 
but it had all the things that got, as soon as I heard the description of the job, it was something I was clearly excited about. And that started to build my confidence back. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky enough to have a wonderful supervisor and a situation that was pretty messed up. (laughs) So (laughs) I got to have some wins. You know, I got Mm -hmm. to do some things. And all of that started to build something that was phenomenal. And it wasn't long before I knew I was really in my life's work, that this was something that made sense to me, that the sales part of it was great. You know, hopefully earning the respect to be a good leader, and then the business of the service of, of all the residents. It just had all the right elements. I just got I got a lucky stroke, and that small step-by-step accomplishment of sort of this fix-it at a property that was kind of upside-down, topsy-turvy, allowed me to grow, and I was in an environment that nice that and continued to give me more and more mm-hmm. experience. So I worked my way out of it with some small wins to begin. That's great. Well, leading into that, how did you get to Avalon Bay? And, and <laughs> how, I guess, long after that, so you said it was about a couple of months after mm-hmm. you you were let go. Yeah, so I got got to property management. And with the Trammell Crow Company, I had the opportunity to work down the East Coast. I started out um, in Columbia, Maryland. Many of our folks know that because it's not too far from our office in Arlington. And I then moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. I was engaged to my then fiancé, of course, my current husband. And he, his job was back uh, in California. And I got to transfer with the Trammell Crow Company and go with a, a group that spun off of the Trammell Crow Company doing third-party management in the Seattle area. And that company was called Lexford Properties. And Lexford Properties' portfolio got purchased by Equity Residential, and I got to stay with Equity Residential. I stayed with the properties, but I changed my team hat, mm-hmm. and I wore an Equity hat for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And Equity moved me to Southern California for another fix-it, a management fix-it kind mm-hmm. of thing was going on. And then my good fortune about the network is really important that I knew Danielle Alders, who is a person I work with and is with the company and very successful. I sat on a board of directors uh, for the California Apartment Association in the in this local chapter and met her and connected with her instantly. Mm-hmm. And then I had another colleague that also worked for Avalon Bay, and he was running the West Coast uh, management's name is Dave Kersinger. And Dave was a longtime colleague of mine when I was up in the Seattle area, and we always stayed in touch, and we'd get together to have a cup of coffee or something over, over the course of time. And when Dave made the decision to leave, Dave called me and Danielle called me. And my memory, this sounds exaggerated, but I'm sure of it. They both called me on the same day. Oh, wow. And invited me to learn more about Avalon Bay and consider coming to work at Avalon Bay. I think that's an excellent example of how important it is to build that network and maintain those relationships even past Avalon Bay or outside of Avalon Bay. Obviously, we want to build good networks internally, but having those external connections as well is is really helpful. It's great. Oh, did I mention all the interviews? I mean, just for everyone, you know, the interviews at Avalon Bay are extraordinary. I think I had 17 of them. I'm not kidding. Some of those I wanted because I was reticent. I felt so comfortable and successful at Equity Residential. I wasn't so sure that I should change and move and I wasn't so sure. So I, what I asked for, they gave me, which was a huge indicator that I was with the right company. It mm-hmm. meant the world to me. I wanted to talk to several people in this local office, which was in Southern California at the time, and understand 
what they were looking for and where what they had done. And so some of those interviews were really afforded to me so I could get my own information and do my due diligence about Avalon Bay. It was great. That's a lot. I had seven and I feel like that was a lot. I I knew when I sat down with Lindsay Romano and interviewed with her, she was my first, or she was my hiring manager, my first boss, if you will. And sure. now she works in our New York office, uh, leading a team over there. And once I sat down with her, like we just connected instantly. And I said, I, this is going to work. Even though they didn't turn the AC on in the conference room that day. <laughs> if anyone's been to the old Newport Beach office, you know how awful that office was. And I was like dying, but I survived and I made it through and she's still a mentor to this day. I still call her up and um, she's a, gives great advice and Mm -hmm. and she's been here a long time as well. So it's it's always encouraging to see. So what advice would you give to your 25 year old self? (laughs) Relax, (laughs) chill out. Um, That whole idea, that whole awareness that I would need help, you know, I don't know why that was so foreign to me. I wanted so much to succeed. I wanted to deliver on that promise that I didn't, uh, didn't use good sense in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And that high-speed kind of gal, and I wanted it all now, and I wasn't patient with myself or with others. I think that the team that I worked with there, uh, it didn't play well that I worked so many hours because I was lost, right? I was trying to figure stuff out, and I thought if I could just read enough manuals, I'd figure out what was being asked of me. But it didn't play well because then other people saw me working like that, I, and that didn't set the right pace. I, You know, I, there's so many things that I tell my 24-year-old self. And I'd also say, get a little quicker on your forgiveness of yourself mm-hmm. and move on. Don't let this define you. Find your true path and... And, you know, I spent too many moments by myself crying and feeling, you know, having a pity party. And I just needed to knock that off and move on, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. Yeah, one of my favorite responses. So we have these monthly calls in our group where we give updates on our projects. And Sean Clark, he is our leads our group from Arlington office nationally. He always throws in these wild card questions and you try and you prep so hard. You think of all the things he's going to ask. You listen to the questions he's asking other people before, but he always just throws some wild card out. And my favorite response, and I'm sure I didn't do this to start, is I would try to scramble and try to find the answer. And I'm on this call and you're freaking out and you're all nervous. My favorite response now is, that's a great question. Let me look into it and I'll get back to you. And I I think that's something like that, find your own way to say it, is is super important because you people can tell when you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. most of the time and it's okay to say I don't and it's usually about something that doesn't pertain to my job directly it's occupancy or it's rents or NOI or something and so that's when after the call I go to my RS partners and say hey let's talk about this and follow back up with Sean and but yeah I think it's it's great to just kind of relax say it's okay yeah take a step back and say you don't know everything yeah you're 25 (laughs) yeah I don't know that you ever know everything, but (laughs) so yeah, I just, I love, I love that response. That's a good one, Katie. Yeah. And it's really helped me. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Last question. What book do you give as a gift or share the most and why? I brought it with me today. If the cameras are on, you would see this book. It's called The Coaching Habit. I got this book from Jackie Tedesco, who gave it to me. And I know there are several people in the company who also use this book. I had a conversation with Rajiv, who leads our LRO group, and he was talking about the um, the questions that you ask, the seven questions. And uh, I knew that he and I had read the same book. The full title is The Coaching Habit, 
Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. And it's by Michael Stanier. It's re remarkable. And showing this to Katie, I, tore, I give you this book, but it's minus this important page. <laughs> um, but I do want to get you a, a book of this. It's really great about um, coaching and being in the habit of helping others along. That's great. I think my favorite one I've read recently, it's called The Gutsy Girl Handbook, and it was written mm -hmm. by a former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine. And being uh, a younger woman, it's it really one thing like people do all the time or women do is they, they apologize for everything. They say sorry and or they feel like it's, it's their posture and how they sit. And so there's so many just like great tips and tools on how to take risks in, in business and, and in your life and, and not kind of shrink because you're scared of failing or whatever you're scared of. So I love that book. I love and the title. I know. It's fun and it's got fun font. It's just bright and colorful and it's great. It's one I read recently that I've recommended to others. So any closing thoughts or takeaways you have? Thank you, Katie. This has been a lot of fun. I thought this might be tough, but after all these years, it's time for me to talk about being terminated when I was a 25-year-old girl who didn't have the good sense to ask anybody for help. So thanks for letting me sort of let loose of that. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for sharing that story. You know, most people here, I would assume, know of you or know you. And you've been a great mentor for me. And I look up to you so much. And so I think it's great to hear stories where you've learned and, and been able to change because I'm sure a lot of people will encounter similar, hopefully not get fired. But if we can help people avoid that, I think that's super awesome. So thank you. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on episode two of the Speak Up by Avalon Bay podcast sponsored by the Avalon Bay Women's Leadership Network. We hope this podcast inspires you to speak up too. If you have comments you would like to share or topics you'd like to suggest, you can email us at speakuppodcast at avalonbay.com. All statements on this podcast are those of the participants only and not of Avalon Bay communities. Avalon Bay and the Women's Leadership Network reserve all rights to this podcast and its content. This podcast is copyrighted and may not be reused or rebroadcast without permission.